This recording is from the first Sunday of Advent at Van City Church from the series, The Long Winter Breaks. To begin by acknowledging that uh, it's still weird. In fact, it's more weird than it usually is, and it's been a year of weird things in light of uh, ongoing and ever-evolving restrictions. We've had to adapt the way that we do the gathering in order to respect the rules, follow all the rules to a T, and then some, and do our best to keep everyone here and in our community safe. But there's actually something that's somewhat advantageous about the way that we have to do church for the next few weeks This church isn't decked out with all kinds of lights and tinsel and there's only a few of us and the mood is very mellow because that's the only thing that we can do. Right now we can't all belt out choruses and sing carols at the same time and some of you aren't even ready for that and that's fine. But as we're about to see, observing Advent is something that begins slow and it begins quiet and it begins in somber moments rather than celebratory ones. And as I thought about that this past week, and I thought about the way that our church would begin the journey of Advent together, something that I've honestly wanted to do for years and haven't been able to find the best way in, and then this year of all years is the one that I thought, now we can do it. We can pull off Advent. And I thought of a story I read a long time ago in the fall of 1996. Newsweek published an article called The Death of Innocence. And in it, the author attempts to document events that had shook the entire country of Belgium that year as the nation grappled with the uncovering of horrifying, violent, and predatory crimes of one man conducted in secrecy for a decade. They were crimes against children, And many of the victims were long thought missing when the terrible truth of their suffering was finally revealed, sending shockwaves throughout families and communities and eventually the entire world. The article in Newsweek mentions a funeral for two of the killer's victims just a few months before Christmas. It says, at the funeral of Julie and Melissa in Liege, last week, the priest who delivered the eulogy was visibly angry his hands shaking as he held a paper in front of him. Is the good Lord deaf? He asked, recalling all the prayers that were said for the missing girls, and all of Belgium observed a minute of silence. This question posed by a priest with trembling hands in the presence of such evil, is the good Lord deaf? This is, in many ways, the question of the Christmas season. Tonight, In November 2020, followers of Jesus from all sorts of backgrounds and denominations all over the world have begun to observe the sacred season known as Advent. The word Advent simply means the arrival of someone or something noteworthy and important. And that, for disciples of Jesus, is the greatest of all understatements. But in the rush of warm, nostalgic buzz that colors the Christmas season, many of us forget the story We forget the garden and we forget the snake and we forget centuries of bloodshed and injustice and depravity and we forget a longing so profound that it overwhelms the soul like bleak winter. That the world is badly broken, 
that in the dark winter of this broken world, a priest is made to extend his shaking hands over a tiny casket and through clenched teeth ask the Advent question, is the good Lord deaf? It's not just the unknowable evil of the criminally depraved. It's us. It's always been us. Thousands of years ago, the prophet Isaiah lamented, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. And the centuries rolled on to the tune of war and human trafficking and global warming behind the heavy curtain of toxic smog billowing from industrial smokestacks, a smoldering and decimated natural world where child slaves pick cotton to make t-shirts and tennis shoes, where terrified animals are packed into filthy pens by the thousands, pumped full of drugs and tortured as factory farms dump rivers of industrial sludge into rural wastelands so we can be sick and slow and full of 99-cent hamburgers. Eyes glazed over, faces lit by the dull electric glow of a touchscreen, commodified by clicks and follows to be bought and sold by corporations as minutes, hours, days, and weeks of our lives fall from the calendar, one screen time report at a time. And a year finds us wide-eyed and unprepared as viral sickness sweeps the face of the earth, bringing with it political discord and civil unrest, the misinformation campaign of political megalomaniacs on the right and the left, playing their crooked flutes for angry mobs forming long lines behind them. And every day, a for-profit news industry drip-feeds outrage hysteria to clamoring customers, more violence, more racism, more police brutality, wildfires, unbreathable smoke, protests, riots. And the only thing stopping what was near-daily mass shootings is quarantine and lockdown. And as angry Americans take to social media to broadcast meltdowns, having been required to wear face masks in Costco, elsewhere in the world, someone else dies. Or elsewhere in the world, the cancer spreads. Elsewhere in the world, a homeless mother huddles with her shivering toddler on a wet and freezing street corner. Elsewhere in the world, another priest extends his shaking, furious hands over another casket, even smaller than the last one, and he asks, in keeping with the psalmists of centuries prior, is the good Lord deaf? Or maybe he quotes the Psalms, how long, Lord, will you forget us forever? How long will you hide your face from us? Didn't you promise to do something? Didn't you promise? And then, and then a hairline fracture in the cold slate gray dome of our long winter. Squinting into the awful blizzard over broken bodies in the ruined wastelands of a once beautiful world, a light barely visible in the distance, and the long winter breaks. Advent finds us in the cold. Advent begins in the dark. In her wonderful volume on Advent, priest and theologian Fleming Rutledge writes this, 
Advent is designed to show that the meaning of Christmas is diminished to the vanishing point if we are not willing to take a fearless inventory of the darkness. It requires courage to look into the heart of darkness, especially when we are afraid we might see ourselves there. The authentically hopeful Christmas spirit has not looked away from the darkness but straight into it. The true and victorious Christmas spirit does not look away from death but directly at it. Otherwise, the message is cheap and false. Instead of pointing out someone else's sin, we confess our own. In our sins, we have been a long time. Advent begins in the dark. In the beauty and wonder of Christmas, we celebrate something precious and incomprehensible. God's indescribable goodness manifest in the most surprising rescue plan the world will ever know. But the beauty of God's rescue plan is diminished, glossed over, reduced to cheap sentimentality when we refuse to truly consider the depth of our need to be rescued. Because the world itself is a nonstop reminder of this very thing, that God's rescue plan has been initiated, but it has not been completed. Advent is about the time in between. So we frame this dark, sacred Sunday between what was and what will be. The world was good until it became broken. And for great roiling seasons of darkness, that brokenness compounded on itself to such a degree that the hope promised by God in Genesis seemed to shrink and fade in the long winter, practically forgotten. And all human longing for justice, generations upon generations of the desperate cry of billions of souls beholding a world marred by evil and screaming into a seemingly indifferent cosmos, this should not be until into darkness and obscurity he came and the long winter breaks. Christmas is not a party without context a recurring celebration of goodness that appears in the midst of goodness already in progress. Christmas is the advent of hope in a world nearly collapsed by hopelessness. The advent, but not the total fulfillment of that hope. And this year reminds us we are in the time between. Again, Fleming Rutledge writes this, It is advent. It is dark and lonely and cold and the master is away from home. Yet, he will come. Keep awake. Tonight, the first Sunday of Advent initiates the season of anticipation that begins in the darkness. Before the night is over, we'll light the first of four candles as a symbolic gesture that builds that anticipation, one for every Sunday leading up to Christmas Eve as a symbol of our anticipation and expectation that we are preparing our hearts for Christmas. And preparing your heart for Christmas is no small thing. On Easter, the church comes together to draw our collected attention to the victory of God, the resurrection of Jesus, to channel every voice into a single triumphant chorus, and we sing worship songs that align our hearts for that purpose. But Christmas is more familiar, and it's certainly more universal. We listen to Christmas hymns for weeks, at least I do, for weeks upon weeks. And even if you want to get away from them, they soundtrack grocery stores and shopping malls. The heavenly voice of Amy Grant, the queen of Christmas, rings out on every radio station by the grace of God. 
And the whole thing culminates not in a victory celebration of the church, but usually in gifts and sweets, and for most of us, a kind of mixed bag of family time. And despite the fact that in the Bible, God is constantly calling his people to remember their story, to write it on their hearts, to bring it to bear again and again with calendars and fasting and festivals and feasts, many of us move through the Christmas season without decluttering our tired, over-busy, and heavy hearts to make room for the sacred, life-giving glow of hope, the scandalous, world-changing event that God is coming to save his people. He came before, and he will come again. As we occupy the space between, Advent draws our minds backward in time to that dark, sacred night in Bethlehem, and that night allows us to transport our hopeful hearts forward to a coming day when he arrives again once and for all. And the only way we can truly prepare ourselves for the brilliance of that future is to stare into the darkness before the long winter breaks. The in-between in which you and I live embodies and proclaims the great paradox of salvation, that just as Romans promises we shall all stand in judgment before God, it is also written that nothing will separate us from the love of God. That though we have all willingly participated in an awful heritage of sin and injustice and evil, and though our sin marks us worthy of judgment, condemnation, and death, we will instead be justified and found blameless and raised to life everlasting. If we do not allow ourselves to remember that sin, injustice, and evil, if we fail to consider the soul-crushing weight of judgment, condemnation, and death, then we will make cheap sentiment of salvation, as plastic as ornaments, as empty and dissolvable as sugar. If we rush to the nativity, to the singing angels and the shepherds and the wise men, if we sing, O holy night, before we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, then we can and likely will have a cozy and lovable Yuletide season, sure. But I doubt our hearts will be devastated and overwhelmed by the beauty and scandal of salvation. But if we allow our hearts to step into the darkness of the long winter, to remember our hurt and our ache and our longing, and if we wait, then that first glow of light will stir our anxious souls to fevered anticipation, and we will eventually find ourselves before the manger on hands and knees in the dirt and manure amongst the stank of livestock with tear-streaked faces broken down in worship. And we will remember in the depths of our soul that he is more than an angelic cherub, more than a plastic lawn decoration or a charming church pageant, that he is God come to us in the long winter. That rather than descend a golden staircase protected by an impenetrable divine aura, he came to us in darkness. That God came to us blood-streaked as babies do, soundtracked by his mother's cries of pain and struggle, of lowing cows and buzzing flies. That as our homes are filled with the delicious aroma of cinnamon and spruce, God arrived in the nauseating copper tinge of blood 
and the heavy, fetid stink of waste. God came to us in the long winter. And knowing this, remembering this, observing this with sacred reverence, we can rest assured that God will come to us again. Long ago, he promised he would come, and he did. And then the same God who broke the winter promised to come again and put an end to the winter once and for all. And he will. He will. Let's pray and ready our hearts for worship and meditation as we consider these things together as a church. Thanks for listening to Van City. You can connect with us and find more teachings and available resources at www.vancity.church. You can support Vancity financially at vancity.church/give.